You're tuned in to Beltway Beef, official commentary of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association's Policy Division here in Washington, D.C. I'm Shauna Newsom, and join with me today is Ethan Lane, Executive Director of the Public Lands Council and NCBA's Federal Lands. Ethan, thanks for joining. Thanks for having me again. Ethan, let's talk wildfires. Parts of the West received a lot of moisture this winter, which is often a good sign and leads to increased forage. But we've already seen some catastrophic wildfires in many states across the country. Uh, how does this become problematic as we move into the fire season? Well, just like in your front yard at home, when you get a lot of rain and then you get sunshine afterwards, you get a lot of grass growth. And when you multiply that times a couple hundred million acres across the West and a wet winter with a lot of snowpack, and, and now we're drying out going into the spring, some places are still getting a lot of moisture, but um, what we're seeing is that predictable result. We're seeing an explosion in grass growth, and we're seeing it after a year last year where we saw really robust grass growth across a lot of the West. So we have a compounding problem of seven, several years of, of leftover and new grass growth that really translates into fuel loads for catastrophic wildfires down the line. So we know grazing is used to mitigate this risk, but much of the land out west is managed by BLM, Forest Service, and unlike private land, where you can graze and how many animals you can graze, that is oftentimes set well in advance of what we know the weather is going to be like. You know, how does this impact our ability to use grazing? Well, you're right. We, we do know that grazing is, is a critical tool to be used to mitigate this fuel and fire threat. You know, across the West, fuel breaks and different different things are put into use by fire management agencies, whether that's the BLM or Forest Service. Um, in some areas, they use chemicals. None of them are as effective as just responsible grazing across a large landscape. That's how we know we can reduce these fuel loads in enough scope to really have an impact on the spread of a fire through a large area. The problem with that, as you as you pointed out, is that a lot of times the amount of cattle we can put out or sheep that we can put out in a specific area at a specific time is is decided so far in advance and uh, has to adhere to such a rigid set of guidelines over how many animal units can be on a specific area over a specific amount of months that the agencies simply don't have the flexibility to get the number of cows or sheep out there on the land that are needed to reduce the threat. And what they, the agencies are telling us they need is increased flexibility to turn that tap on when it's, when it's appropriate. We looked at some fields uh, just recently in Idaho that had seen constant grazing since last September, 1,400 head in one case. And the field we were standing in didn't look like it had had a single animal in it. Uh, it was absolutely overgrown. We're talking about waist-high grass leading to one of the last sagebrush stands in that area. So if we really want to protect these ecosystems and we want to protect the resources uh, that foster sage grouse and, and different species that we know thrive out there, the best way to do that is by leaning into that responsible grazing, reducing those fuel loads so that we can protect the sagebrush that's left and not lose any additional resources to catastrophic fire. Now we've seen the agencies pull animals off in times of drought or when we need to move animals off the land, but we don't have the flexibility, is that right, to add uh, animals onto the land as we needed? Well, we know some BLM offices are asking for additional AUMs now. They, they need those additional cattle on the ground and sheep on the ground to reduce these fuel loads. There's simply no other way to get a handle on this threat, particularly in a wet year like we've seen this year. Um, but yeah, the larger problem absolutely is that that flexibility just simply isn't easy to come by. 
and and the way our laws are set up and the litigious environment that we're in now where we have these uh, these outside activist groups that look for any reason to lob a, a lawsuit at the BLM or the Forest Service um, it's it's a it's a hazardous environment for for these land managers to make what is obviously the responsible for the decision if you go to a private land environment with the same problem this is an easy fix you you use more livestock to reduce those fuel loads in a responsible way you pull them off when that threat has been uh, avoided and what you are rewarded with on the back side of that is a rebound in in those perennial grasses and a healthier ecosystem going into the next year we know that the science has piled up on that and, and we know exactly what happens when we do that kind of management uh, we just simply don't have the ability to do the same kind of management on the federal grounds and, uh, and the agencies, I think, uh, in many cases would like to, but they just don't have the flexibility to do it. So what changes need to be made? Well, I think that it's, it's time for us to really start taking a look under the hood. I think we're already seeing um, a, a change in tone in the agencies. I think they're open to some of these new ideas. I think looking at, at, at ways to, to move towards an outcome-based grazing model, which is already being done in, in kind of a testing uh, pilot capacity in some states in the West, would give those management agencies a little more flexibility year over year to manage for conditions on the ground rather than, um, you know, manage for conditions in a 300-page report. You know, I think we're talking about some of those things now, and, and we're starting to see uh, uh, some progress towards a future that allows us to really responsibly manage these resources uh, for, the, for the conditions we're facing. But it's going to take engagement from, from all different sides of the spectrum. We're going to need some of those uh, conservation groups and others that are focused on different parts of the health, the health of the ecosystem to really engage with us on the whole health of the ecosystem and engage in a real dialogue on how we can be best used as a tool to manage these resources because the ranchers and livestock grazing community really is the key to improving conditions out there, but, but we need willing partners to get that done. Well, NCBA and PLC have certainly put an educational push out there because we know that this may be problematic in the near future. Where can people get more information? So we're going to be talking about this in a pretty uh, strong campaign over the next few weeks. We've actually uh, established a new website, grazingpreventswildfires.com. And uh, over the next few weeks, if you watch that site, we're going to be populating that with videos and content uh, that's going to stay in, in, up and, and available once this campaign wraps up so that people have that as a resource moving forward. There's going to be some great video content out there. Um, we really captured some interesting footage over the last few weeks. We've been doing some interviews and, and we hope people will go check that out and watch as that as that starts to grow over the next few weeks. We've been listening to Beltway Beef. Until we meet again, eat beef and check us out online at beefusa.org and grazingpreventswildfires.com.